I think, Johnny, if I had to sum up this show, I would say it's a show about love. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Love is what it's all about. Hello, and welcome to Johnny and Tiggy Walker Consciously Coupling. Now, in this podcast, we're going to be chatting to other couples and finding out how they met. Who did the wooing, or who wooed who. Whether they faced any struggles together. And the triumphs and the joys that they've had. We'll hear about the songs that they love, that they share, and maybe some that they don't. And it's all with thanks to our partner, the Velvetizer, from Hotel Chocolat. Barista-grade drinking chocolate at home. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to get a new episode every Wednesday. Right, let's get started. Let's. Well, welcome along to this edition of Johnny and Tiggy Walker, Consciously Coupling. Now, let's get on to our guests on this edition of the podcast. And they are Rachel Joyce and her husband, Paul Venables. And Rachel is a very old friend of Tiggy's, so I should hand to you, Tiggs, to tell us all about Rachel Joyce. Well, Rachel and I met in our first term of our first year at Bristol University. We were both in the Shakespeare play for that term, Love's Labour's Lost. She was the lead. I was the wench. Uh, And so it went on through our three years through university. We were in lots of plays together. Rachel always the lead and me always the wench or something equivalent to that. Although once we did both get to wear great big white wigs in the restoration play. I've the seen a photo world. of that. I know. You look fantastic. I have to say, yeah. a, a large restoration wig does suit me. Or oh, it did then. Um, Rachel um, is probably the reason I didn't go into acting because I helped her get ready for her RADA auditions and she would rehearse her audition pieces to me. And I just thought, my God, this girl is so talented. And she's remarkable on stage. She has such strength and power on stage. However, children came along and writing was her chosen course. And what a good choice that was because her first novel, The um, Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, was just the most incredible, award-winning, high-selling, translated into over 30 languages book. She went from just somebody who'd written lots of radio plays on Radio 4, to suddenly being one of the best-known authors in the world. It was sort of meteoric. And Paul, her husband, I'm going to be very interested to know how he coped with going from Rachel being... Rachel wrote, you know, lots of radio stuff, suddenly being this name and this award winner. It's going to be interesting to talk to him about that. Well, Paul Venables, uh, Rachel's husband... Uh, I met them obviously through you when we uh, and the first and most striking impression that Paul made on me was how good looking he was. Oh. He's a really handsome looking guy and um, and he's got a wicked sense of humour and also he's an amazing cook. I mean I've talked about how I've spoiled Tiggy by cooking three meals in about 18 years of mm-hmm. being together and mm-hmm. um, Paul cooks every day doesn't he? He does. We'll talk to him about that. But Paul, of course, he, he is an actor too. And Paul's, uh, he's a psychotherapist now. They've both, I love the fact they've both had second careers. He's a very successful psychotherapist. But he, of course, is Jacob in The Archers, which is very exciting. You 
introduced me to the archers when we met. So that has been one of the things you have brought into my life. And how exciting to have Paul now as one of those characters. Yeah. Yep. So there we are. They're a fantastic couple. They've got a beautiful house with fabulous views overlooking the Strand Valley in Gloucestershire. And the Rachel has her own little shepherd's hut there where she does a lot of her writing. She's about to launch in paperback her latest book called Miss Benson's Beetle. Uh, so Which she, is a fabulous story. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Who's going to talk the most? Um, you think Paul, don't you? I think you? Paul. And a quick mention here for our sponsor, that's the Velvetizer, brought to you by Hotel Chocolat. And the Velvetizer is the most wonderful coffee pot style gadget that sits on a little stand, a uh, circular stand, much like an electric kettle, plugs in a socket, and you put some milk in, any sort of milk, and then you add the flaky chocolate. Uh, that comes in sachets or a big drum. Press the button and within about two and a half minutes you've got the most wonderful cup of drinking chocolate. It's gorgeous. I have one every day. It is. Oh, we, we've had one for three years. And Hotel Chocolat are so gracious in that every couple who comes on to Consciously Coupling receives a Velvetizer. And I think Paul and Rachel have received theirs. They have. Yes. We will ask them about it. We will indeed. So here are Rachel and Paul. Uh, Rachel, hello, how are you? Very, very good, thank you. Very lovely to be here. And Paul, welcome to our podcast. Hello, Johnny. It's very nice to be here, I must say. I just want to say, we've already spoken together a little bit about the two of you, about Rachel, your writing career, and Paul, your acting and your psychotherapy career. And just, Paul, on your psychotherapy is it rather nice to be talking about yourself for a change rather than to somebody else about them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that fulsome answer. Good. Uh, it's it's um I I like listening and I really it's a it's a privilege to hear people's stories, but it's actually sometimes you think I need to say something, you know? But you you can't really as a therapist. You have to just listen and uh, take it in, but um no, it is. It's quite nice. Now, um, do you ever get a little bit jealous, Rachel, at some of these women who come in, spend their time talking to Paul? They probably all fall in love with him. I tell him that all the time, that, that women must surely fall in love with him. But uh, he assures me, and I believe him, that it's a much more complicated process. And I'm being a little bit... I'm being a little bit lightweight when I suggest that maybe you would just fancy Paul if he was your therapist because you're working so long term that I, I mean, I, you know, you go to a much bigger place, don't you, with work like that? Yeah. Now, the song that you chose that you share is Stephen Duffy, You Are, that came out, I think, in about 1986. So is that around the time that you, you two first met? No, we, we met after that, didn't we? It was It was a... It was a song, I always really loved Stephen Duffy and I loved The Lilac Time. And when we were getting together, we played each other music. We both, had, we both brought our musical collections together and that was one of the ones. There was a few actually because we really struggled to choose which one because there were, there, were se there were several that we could have chosen. But we chose You Are because it's got such energy and it kind of really felt like two people coming together in this explosion of energy, which is a bit what happened, really. 
And also our children, Rachel's children at the time and, my, and our children subsequently, used to hear the song and they'd immediately start running round the table automatically, just like doing this dance as soon as they heard this song. But out of, in like a joyful dance going round and round the table... I think we did set up the game. I think the I way probably that you demonstrated do. it. You know, like, wouldn't it be fun if you all ran around the table for three hours to this song <laughs> kind of thing? But it was all, this song was also really important because um, when Paul and I got together, we were in a play, and uh, Paul went on with the play to Canada, and I couldn't go. And before he went, I said to him, will you give me... So I think I said two songs that I can just listen to because, you know, and even then, like when we were trying to contact one another, you couldn't even text. It was, um, what were we using? Faxes. That, that was the kind of main form of communication and we couldn't really afford to ring one another. So he just gave me that song and another song and I listened to them all the time. I wore them out. I just, and I love that, those songs that he gave me then because because that was just a way of kind of connecting with him when he wasn't there. So when you came back from the tour in Canada, did you move in together immediately? Did you know after that that you two were right for each other? Or did you already know before you went away? I already knew, but I already knew. I knew, I, I'm sorry, I knew almost the moment I met him that it was... You know, it was really serious. It was, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was meant to be because I don't say that about many things, but I remember thinking, this is, he is the most extraordinary man. And in fact, I said that to him, which is quite, I mean, I just went up to him. Um, we'd been doing the play and we'd been to the pub. And when you're desperate for somebody to kind of talk to you, and I sort of felt he was talking to me without actually talking to me. You know, that kind of, when you're, when you're convinced that something is there, but hasn't been said. So when he left, I ran up to him and I said to him, you are the most extraordinary, beautiful man I've ever met. And he got in his car very, very quickly. <laughs> And he drove off. <laughs> I couldn't think what else to do. I just got in my car and drove off and phoned my friend. <laughs> Did you realise when you first... What, what was your relationship, first of all, in the play? What were your characters? Were the... it, was a, it was Racing Demon by David Hare. And I was a young, zealous curate. Still am. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, Rachel, you were uh, my wow. girlfriend, weren't yeah. you, in yeah. the play? Yeah. And it was about how one of the strands of the play was about how my character gets more and more idealistic about faith and religion and how he can't end up really having a relationship with a, with a woman because he's so driven towards God. And were you aware, Paul, of the effect that you know that uh, you had on Rachel I, I don't I yes he was I think on some level you are you know you but you don't you don't want to admit it you don't want it you kind of go oh, that can't be that can't be right and you but then after a while I think we 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 thought no there's something really important here but I what I do really remember about that time was that I we we were both like this we I when I'm in a when I was in a plays I'd run my lines all the time. I just couldn't bear the idea of ever drying. And I'd run, I mean, a day, I never had a day off. I'd run my lines all the time. So they were like on a hard drive. And we used to do it together outside the dressing rooms. We just run our lines. And we, 
then we'd talk, you know, and, and discuss things. And we were friends, I think, really first, weren't we? we yeah. We just, we just would have really long chats every day. And then I think after a while we thought, maybe this isn't just running lines. It's such a, a, a false environment, in a way, to get to know somebody. You're both playing a character in a play. It's very easy to get romantically carried away. I mean, in the days when I did my acting, in, you know, back at university age, I think if ever I had a man opposite me, I always fell for them. So it must be hard to trust that feeling when you're within the confines of a play and a, a theatre company. I think, I think that might be true initially, but I think after a while you do, you know, you're so used to being in a play or, you know, having a, a love interest in a play that you don't, I mean, it doesn't happen every time, but I think there was just a connection that we made. And sometimes I think on stage, I mean, you are acting, but sometimes you, you realise that you're connecting to something that is really inside you and you're actually, you know, you're, you're using something that you really genuinely feel. So, Paul, how long after coming back from Canada did things sort of formalise? Well, we, we, it was, I mean, it was all quite dramatic, wasn't it? Because I came back and had to have back surgery because I, I damaged my back um, ru running. And um, I was in hospital and then recuperating for quite a long time. So we had a, And then, Rachel, you got a job at the RSC, didn't you? Yes. And then... So it took quite a while for us. I mean, I think there was a real sense of us knowing that we we needed to be together, but there were lots of kind of things put in our paths, really. And Rachel had two little children, and so I had to kind of try and encompass that in my world, really. I I was so not in that world and not prepared for that world. I think it was a real a real shock. I, you know. I, well, how was, was in at the how, deep end. How was that taking on board two little little girls? Because well, I've often said six. I've often said to we've got you know Joe and Nell after Hope and Kezia, and I think Hope and Kezia got all my energy <laughs> because I was just like I was thinking kids are great, <laughs> they love doing stuff and they run around the table to the to Stephen Duffy and you can tell them to change direction and they do and then they they dress up and I was kind of really getting involved with puppet shows. And I think by the time Joe and Nell came along, I was just knackered. <laughs> and I was thinking, when can I have a glass of wine? <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Paul's, Paul's a very keen cook, though, as you know, and I knew that he was moving in for good when he brought his vegetable peeler round. His vegetable peeler appeared in the cutlery drawer, and I thought, oh, it's, this is it now. This is fine. This is commitment. It was at the time, I don't want to be boring about vegetable peelers, but it was at the time when... They, they hadn't really come up with a really good vegetable peeler. They were those old-fashioned ones that were like a stick. Oh, yeah. And you think they don't really work. But they suddenly invented this vegetable peeler like we've got now with these two little blades. <laughs> and suddenly you could peel a potato really quickly. And I'm thinking, I'm not moving that in until I'm certain. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you're a wise man. Well, I don't know. Paul. Now, Rachel, the song that you would choose to dedicate to Paul was Aretha Franklin's version of that great Sam Cooke song called You Send Me. Um, I think you probably already explained why you would choose a song like that to dedicate to Paul. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't... If I was giving a song to Paul, I would give him an unequivocal I love you song. 
the one that just really kind of goes with how huge and magnificent it feels to be really in love with somebody. And I'm quite a quiet person, but I like really big songs about love. But you don't like Thin Lizzy and a good rocker. It's, it's a bit unfair, actually, because I do sometimes like Thin Lizzy, but we were just looking for... Because actually, I am endlessly, I would say, fascinated by Paul's... I mean, whatever Paul is thinking in, I f- thinking I find interesting. So his music, I even if I don't... Even if it wouldn't be my first port of call, I wouldn't actually say there was anything I thought, can you please turn that off? So it took quite a long time for either of us to think of something that we didn't really like. So, I mean, Thin Lizzy is fine, but it's just I don't find it as relaxing as other things, I would say. And which yeah, song I mean, I, you... Sorry, Johnny, I, I was going to say about Thin Lizzy, I don't, they're not a band that I listen to all the time, but sometimes when you're cooking, you really want something to rise up, you know, kick it, you know, and, and really go with. So it's really good for cooking, something like that. It's kind of, it's really loud and raucous. I'm getting quite a picture of what sort of chef you are, Paul. Well, yeah, I can calm it down, but I mean, I like, you know, you, I, I like it. I like something a bit boomy. Now, listen, and something I want to ask you, once you had moved the uh, potato peeler in and you yes. ultimately got married, quite soon after that, Rachel writes her first novel, The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, and it becomes an enormous success. Rachel wins the award, the National Book Awards New Writer of the Year, and that's one of many awards. And suddenly you become a bit of a literary rock star, Rachel, which is, you know, your life changes out of all recognition. Paul, how was that for you? Well, it it was really uh, amazing and it was really, it came out of nowhere, it felt like. Um, it was scary. Um, you know, you felt sometimes that it was going to take over everything. Rachel suddenly was, I mean, Rachel had really been at, at home with the children and, and we'd been living very much, we both worked from home. And then suddenly, every day, I'm not exaggerating, every day for a while, there would be two or three invitations abroad. They just were just endless you know, and each time it was three or four days. And Rachel, quite understandably, wanted to give the book as big a push as she could. So I I would stay at home and, you know, keep things together. But I think there was a little bit of it which kind of did make me really think about, you know, my career. What You know, because I, then I was suddenly very at home. And I'd always been the outgoing one, maybe more than you, would you say? Definitely. You yeah. know, I was more prone to go out. Um, but then suddenly Rachel was really out in the world. So I think there was a period where it just felt, it felt like it had a life of its own and you didn't know, you really had no control over it. And, you know, I really understand it when people say about extreme fame or a phenomena that suddenly your your life isn't your own. And you, I don't know how, how you deal with that all the time. I think you must have to be really boundaried eventually because otherwise you'd you wouldn't have a life what you have to do is stop and have another cup of drinking chocolate (laughs) that's one of the things i wish i'd known yes well you didn't have a velvetizer then wasn't invented then we only just got the vegetable peeler remember we we hadn't certainly hadn't moved on to the velvetizer if only we'd known we do now though 
Are you liking drinking chocolate? I have to say, I had today a dark chocolate, drinking chocolate. 85%. It was the most exquisite thing. Yeah. It is an exquisite thing. The 85% is my, well, it's your favourite as well, yeah. isn't it? Fight over it. Yeah, it's a, real, it's a real luxury thing, isn't it? A, a hot chocolate made like that. Yeah. Um, now, Rachel, with your writing, you're always writing, not just one thing, you're always writing a novel, a radio play, <laughs> and normally a screenplay of one of your previous novels. I mean, you're juggling so many projects. You have four children... How do you find time for Paul in all of that? Oh, easily. I mean, because we're together. I mean, we're lucky that we, you know, we live here together and we both work from home, apart from when I was doing my slightly mad jaunts. But, you know, that was just a period. And I knew it was just a period. You know, you kind of, you can be a bit, you know, the flavour for a little while. And then... And I think the thing is to not take it too seriously and then come back and carry on doing what you were doing before, which is the work. But Paul and I, I mean, I think because we see, you know, we see one another at lunchtime, we're lucky. You know, even without a lockdown, we see one another at lunchtime, we see one another in the evenings. We have breakfast together and that's the best bit of my day, definitely. And on the whole, I tend to linger in the kitchen, even if I'm supposed to be working, to see if I can catch in between clients. So I do a lot of, you know, kind of loitering, hoping he might turn up. But we, I mean, we love talking. And Paul's, I mean, the thing that we don't, we, we, we are able to talk a lot about stories that I'm working on. Because for me, I mean, I couldn't work it all out on my own. And we have very, very different minds. Um, I mean, we're very different types of people, but it's... It's really interesting if you're if you have an idea and you're trying to work it out to be able to talk it through with somebody else. And I mean I think that's why a lot of them, you know, a lot of, I mean Paul's had a lot of input on all of them. So lockdown probably hasn't made that much of a difference to your lives together. Not really. You were doing that anyway, sort of. Yeah. But I mean, you go I, out I, less. I think it's been quite easy for us. I know it's been horrible for lots of people and you know some lots of my family really really struggled i think we we don't live in a city so we don't have young children because I, I you know i know lots of people homeschooling and it just sounds so hard and so demanding and doing their jobs so we 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 we've carried on our work and as rachel said we we her projects are usually nearly all of them we we talk about all the time you know they're like an ongoing discussion about ideas and the psychology of her characters, you know, is interesting to me. And yeah, as Rachel said, we've got very different thoughts, but I think I'm more, Rachel's very detailed and structured and I'm I'm more intuitive. And I'd go, no, that doesn't work. I don't know why. And I'll say, you need to do that so that it makes more sense. And I couldn't do it, but Rachel's a writer, so she she can apply herself to it. And I also, I wake up really, really early. So I, I normally start work at about five. That's my kind of, that's just when I'm, my head is, is thinking. So often when Paul comes down at about eight looking for a cup of coffee, I've been on my own for three hours. I've thought so many things and I've got so much to tell him. <laughs> and I can feel him kind of seem like just reaching for a cup of coffee. It is, it's like being hit by a wave of creativity as you're just trying to get, you know. I sometimes have to say, what, we, what are we talking about before we... <laughs> Which project is it? 
can you reference the project for me? Is it the book? Is it the film? Is it the musical? I don't, you know. But Paul, the one uh, project, that, the, well, the one book that I really see your influence over, and I, it has to be there, is The Music Shop, because you are so into your music. And that, why, was it not an experience of your own going into a record shop saying, I can't sleep? That sort of almost became the gem of the uh, the germ of the idea. Yeah, it, well, it was. But I'm I remember, I don't know why I couldn't see. But I I wasn't. I don't remember being particularly troubled. No, I think we just moved out of London. It was maybe the the quiet. It was the quiet, maybe. I know I couldn't sleep, and I I was in Cheltenham one day, and I found this tiny little classical music shop down a a terrace. And I just I went in, and I didn't really know much about classical music. I mean, I I was a punk fan and I've, I love I love a lot of guitar music and um but I went in and I said to the guy I'm I'm really struggling to sleep have you got anything would I thought it was a really stupid question have you got anything that might help me sleep at night and he went oh and he kind of rummaged around and then he he put this music on and I listened to it for about three minutes and I said that's amazing I said yeah I'm, I'm going to take that and a man next to me said I can't sleep either. Can I have that? <laughs> and it and it really we it's become a really kind of staple uh, in our in our music collection now. And when Rachel was writing the music shop, it was an amazing opportunity just to kind of really think about music that's changed your life. You know, a song is just so powerful. I mean, you you know, it, it can really change everything. Well, the song that you picked to dedicate to Rachel is a wonderful song uh, by Bruce Springsteen called If I Should Fall Behind. So let's talk about the song and the version. Um, first of all, the song, I've always thought it's the most beautiful concept of a relationship between two people. And, and, and in this case, they talk about getting wed. Um, so you've chosen it because for you, Paul, maybe it just sums up what a really good relationship is about. Yeah, I mean, before we... You... For me, I'm, this is where I'm a bit pernickety. It has to be that live in Dublin version for me. There's something about that version that's not, it's not... He's recorded it a couple of times before and I don't think it's as good. There's something about the live in Dublin one. It's like being in an Irish pub uh, on a hot, steamy evening and suddenly seeing Bruce Springsteen and his wife and violins playing and fiddles and... It's just the most amazing atmosphere and you really feel you're, there's two people talking to each other's hearts. But it's, it's not, I don't find that quality's there on his other recordings, so it's, it's got to be that one. So I'm just being a bit fussy. Um, and the, the, in terms of the song, I think it, it links for me a bit with Rachel's book, The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, because the, the, the theme of walking a road, you know, walking along... A road together is something that uh, is very powerful. I think that you, who you choose to walk beside, in your life, and if one person goes on too fast, that they wait for you to catch up, and it it's going to change. You know, one minute someone's rushing ahead, and you have to you have to wait. You can't just go there on your own. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the song: the way that you need, if you're in a partnership, you need you need to wait sometimes. What times has that happened? I guess, in a way, at the beginning, when you got back from Canada and you're in hospital, you've got a bad back, recuperating, and 
and Rachel becomes a sort of carer to look after you. Yeah, I mean, you did, you did wait for me. I did, I did wait for you, but then we waited for one another when, um, you know, with all the when the when you, as you said, when the book kicked off. You know, we were we were potentially we were cast into two very different places, but we made a decision when we saw how unsettled we both felt. And I remember being on once on a plane. To, I didn't even know where I was going, and just being in floods of tears, thinking this is not what I signed up for. Uh, and then another time ringing home and the children saying, oh, Paul's not here, he's rehearsing with his band. And I said, but what band? He hasn't got a band. <laughs> but I mean, it was, I think he just fled to the garden to get away for a minute. But, you know, and I just thought we've got, we've, we've got to kind of make this ours. So what we decided to do was to, to cut down on the book tours, but to only do them as a family, if we were going to do them. Or together, you and or, I. Or the two of us. But mainly, we, so we made some holiday. We made a few of them, you know, like the kind of big ones, we turned into a family holiday. And it was amazing for everybody. And then others, Paul and I did together. But I didn't do any more on my own. We just felt it wasn't, wasn't I mean, it wasn't making us happy. I mean, they were great to do together. Because, you know, Rachel would go and do an event and we went to places like Reykjavik um, in Iceland together. And then we took the family back to Reykjavik because we loved it so much. Um, so it was an amazing experience, but it was very difficult if, you're, if you've got young children and one person's left holding it all. And you, there was so much being asked of you, wasn't there, at the time? Yeah, I mean, the was. demands on you were huge, I thought. Well, there was one day I remember... Um finding 20 Spanish journalists in our garden. And, um, you know, you just think, they, I mean, I think we knew they were coming, but we didn't realise quite how many. But just, you know, so many people wanting, wanting to know, I think, you know, who I was or, or I don't even know quite what it was. Just trying to, the book was such a flavour, people wanted more than the book. And there wasn't, you know, there, was, there wasn't really a lot more to give until Paul started coming along, and then, and then it got much more fun. And actually, you started doing readings and things, didn't you? Yeah, I did a few readings at places, and um, yeah, it was, ni- it was nice to kind of keep it as part of us. But the, yeah, the other thing is that as a, probably as a couple, of the two of us, um, Paul's the one who's louder and the more extrovert one and the kind of more, you know, welcoming, and I'm kind of quieter and, you know, I listen. I do good listening. But we were thrown into kind of opposite roles by the book. So suddenly I was the one who was expected to do lots of talking and Paul was expected to be, you know, Quiet. at my side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was at the background kind of not saying anything. I was Dennis Thatcher, I always thought. Not that you well, were Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, which is, yeah, well, I think we won't but, go there. No. And is that challenging? I mean, in the tri- you know, 40 years ago, it would have been quite usual for a woman to go along with her husband and sit there and go, darling, you were marvellous. And, you know, iron his shirts and, and, you know, make sure there's no soup on his tie. Uh, But is it hard, did you find, Paul, being the man supporting a very, suddenly very successful woman? Well, well, I I, I think my, my kind of idea about all this is that often in life, something happens which is really, really difficult. And uh, you really wished in some senses, that it wasn't happening to you. I mean, it can be lots of things, illness, circumstances. But I always think what, you have to say, what is in this that I need to learn? You know, if if this has been given to me as a problem or an issue or a challenge, what is it I've got to work out here? 
And looking back on it now, I think it was to, for me, was to be really quiet and supportive and not worry about my ego or, you know, who I, you know, who I am, but to kind of allow Rachel her, her space and her time and, and see that as a really, really positive thing. And it was good. It's quite a difficult lesson, isn't it? Because I It is. It's a really difficult. It is. You're right. It's tricky. And, and I empathise completely with you because when I married Johnny, the career, the, the, the Tiggy, who was at the centre of her own universe, I, I just didn't recognise my life anymore. Suddenly who I was and what I did became irrelevant because suddenly I'd married this guy who was doing the drive time show on Radio 2. And that was seemed to be a bit of a thing. I mean, it's not something I sought, but it's... So I'm very sensitive to how these patterns in power in your and energy in your life ebb and flow. But of course, Paul, you're now Jacob in the Archers, and that makes you a middle-class, middle-aged, middle-England rock star overnight. <laughs> Especially as the good-looking Swedish vet. Now, is that I, fun? Yeah. yeah. Well, I've always thought I was a bit like a Swedish vet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was only a matter of time before I would... I don't know, Denmark or Finland. I didn't know which country I would eventually have to come from. But um, no, it was, it's, um, it's making me sound like I'm schizophrenic because I am. I, am, <laughs> I probably am. Are you? But I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, my job is a psychologist. I'm a psychotherapist. As well, and, uh, but I have been an actor. You know, it's a weird thing. And every now and then I get asked to do television or a bit of this or that. And I usually don't do it. But with the archers, it's a very, very good job for someone who has a, another, a different job because it's very compartmentalised and you can do it in a very short block and it's really enjoyable. And it, it allows me to kind of, it allows me to kind of be in that actor space again. And that's really nice. Um, but then it stops and I go back to my, my other job. Talking of your other job, you obviously you've got a separate consulting room at home, yes. where you have sessions with with your clients. Um, are you able to walk out of that room at the end of the day, and leave behind all that you've heard? Because there must be a lot of pain. Yeah, I I think it. I've got better at leave, not. I don't mean leaving it behind, but I think you're you're a better therapist if you can really work in the room and leave hold it in the room you know contain it and i think it's i, th I remember very early on when i qualified it used to really i used to take it with me out into the fam into my family into my life and it was awful because you're carrying that person's pain all the time and i think it stops you being a good analyst or therapist in the room you have to be able to um in a way not put it down but leave it in its right place and at the moment, Rachel, you're adapting The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry for um, a film, which I think um, the intention is you're filming this year. That's the hope, though. I mean, That is the knows? hope, touch wood. Uh, Paul, are you trying to use the uh, casting couch to get a cameo in that? I'll do anything I can. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> I... Well, I've married the writer. I mean, that shows some sort of commitment. Do you find yourself reading all the drafts of everything Rachel writes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
A little tired, I think he sounded there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do. Yes, I do. No, it's it's great. I mean, I, I, I'm honest, but I'm always honest in a, I hope, a helpful way. I'd say, I don't understand that, or I didn't, I, you lot, I got lost there, or I... I, mean, that's I think it's of... a very hard thing to read somebody else's work, especially, you know, when it's in the stage of not... And there are so many people that write, and who you share your writing with, I think, is, is really important. And what Paul's got better and better at over the years is when you read it, you go, it's really good. That's number one rule. You kind of, you go, and then you go, and maybe, not but... And maybe you could do this and this and this. And you've got better and better and better at it. It's, I think well, it is. But I think who you trust your writing to is really important. And as a writer, you shouldn't trust your writing to any old person. You should be very careful about who you choose. Publication day, if you're an author, publication day has always been the big day, the debut and everything else. Rachel, do you hate that day? Uh, I don't hate it, but I, it's not a comfortable place. I feel very grateful that it's happening. I feel really, I mean, I, and it's always really lovely to see everybody, but sometimes I wish I could see everybody without actually having to be there. Well, how is it for you, one of Rachel's publication days? We've done, a, we've done different styles, haven't we? One, yeah. one was quite, well, one was local here once, which was quite nice. Yeah. There was a big one in London where I didn't know anybody. And then, you know, they vary. I mean, I think they're strange events. I mean, they're a bit like first nights. But um, we haven't done that many, have we? We haven't done that many, no. I mean, well, we've done there four was, or five. There wasn't one for Miss Benson's Beetle because of Covid. No, exactly. Well, getting on to Miss Benson's Beetle, she is about to... Those two women, Marjorie and Enid, are about to come out in paperback, Rachel. When, when is that being published? Paperback publication day is April the 1st. April Fool's Day for these two marvellous women. Couldn't be a better day. And they are marvellous women. Where did they come from in your mind? I don't really know where those two women came from. I mean, I had a theory for a little while. It will sound a little bit strange, maybe, but that there were two women not following me, but I had a sense of two women and I didn't really know who they were, or what they were about, but I felt I was being followed by two characters and they really needed a book. And um, for a while I, was, I wasn't quite sure who they were. And then I had another time where I was speaking to a clairvoyant after my dad died and um, it was by phone. And basically I really wanted the clairvoyant to say, your dad really misses you and is here with you and has a message for you. And she didn't say any of that. But what she did say was, who are the two women? And, yeah. and uh, yeah, so so I've kind of, uh, so they definitely, I mean, and that was a long time ago. That was before Harold Fry was um, written or published. So they they have been hanging around me, I'd say, for a while. But I think they're such a powerful force those two women together I think it really um it was very important as for me as a woman to write to you know a book that is specifically about a, a, a female adventure yeah I think that's what was so amazing about that book was because I mean it is really the most amazing adventure for two women 
they are undeniably the two main protagonists. You're with them all the way and they're, they're, ba they're breaking boundaries and crashing through obstacles. And um, it's, I think it's really timely. Good. Well, I think we've sort of come to a natural end, really. I was not. I was really that... enjoying that. I, no, I want to ask. I want to say these two, yeah. you two, no, I won't talk to Johnny, I'll talk to you two. You two, in your laid-back way, are quite a power couple. You really are. Successful novelist, you know, successful therapist, you know, someone in the archers. You live in a beautiful house overlooking that wonderful valley. You must be quite happy with your lot. So I'm quite worried I've been assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> That's a prime example of the You can say when this comes up, this, this was recorded before the assassination. <laughs> we'll have a real scoop then, wouldn't we? <laughs> well, we won't send up a sniper. But um, in terms of everything, you have four amazing children. Um, are the goals and dreams together that you share or are you very so chilled that you just let life unfold? We have got, a, we have got a, something we want to do, haven't we? Yeah, we have. I mean, this for us is um, we're suddenly, suddenly reaching the first time in our lives where we've been together on our own. We've never had that. We never had that as a couple. You know, when you have the pre-children bit, that just, I, I came with children. That was, that was the deal. So suddenly we're experiencing life just the two of us and it's really really lovely I mean I love having the children here but just to have time for one another is really special and it's made us especially lockdown think about well what do we want to do um, and we've decided what we really want to do is go backpacking for about four months wow when we're 60 when which is next year and do you know where you're going to go? Or is that part of the joy, is planning where you're... Yeah, I mean, look, the idea of going round Europe, maybe on a train, you know, just, just, you know, maybe not, you know, just finding nice restaurants, nice art galleries, you know, but really just being able to have space and time to do it. And if you think we just need a few more days here, you can do that. I mean, I, so many of us are missing travelling. And I think one of the best things, I'm sorry to say this, Johnny, but I think one of the best things about being in a committed relationship is that you have someone to go and have adventures with. And yeah. I love, we have had Why so Why do you have to be sorry to say that? Well, I could be saying all sorts of things that are wonderful about being with you. Oh, but, yes. <laughs> but, but I do love our adventures together. No, we, and we... I think that going off together... And you know you're going to get on, and everything else. It's it's such a it's such a dream. And when I when I think about single friends who don't have that person to go to plan an adventure with, I feel very very sad for them. Sometimes I'm very envious of them, but a lot of the times I'm very sad for them, especially when it comes. To... <laughs> 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 We're not as dreamy as you two. I have to tell you, you two are perfect. <laughs> Is well, there anything uh... wrong with the other? For heaven's sake. Look at him, Rich. He's tall, <laughs> handsome, fit. I know. He cooks. I know. He's perfect. Not He's really, really lovely. He's a very lovely man. I got it right when I told him the first time. It's very lovely. But he doesn't jump in his car when I say it anymore. So see how far we've come. <laughs> I've learned to sit still and not, you know, not drive away. Accept, the, my, accept it. My achievement. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. 
It has it's been a pleasure. delightful um, to conscious conscious. It's been really nice to talk to you. Let's hope your backpacking dream becomes a reality yeah. soon. We're gonna have a hot chocolate now. Yeah. <laughs> so are we. So big thank you to Rachel Joyce and to Paul Venables. Lovely couple. They've really got it sorted, haven't they? It, they really have. And it's funny, beforehand, we both agreed that possibly Paul would speak most. It was beautifully balanced. Yes. And Rachel's strength comes through when she, she's... What I love about Rachel when she talks, she's such a good writer and there's nothing self-effacing about her. She knows so much about writing and how to deal with it. For example, only being very careful who you share your writing with. So valuable to other writers to listen to Rachel because she has an inner strength, an inner knowledge when it comes to her art, which is writing. And Paul has been on this fabulous journey with her and I think has learned so much about himself. I think they're a fantastic couple. Yeah. I mean, you knew, you knew them in the beginning when, you, when they, you know, they were first getting together. Um, was Paul sort of the main one, so to speak? Did he have more of the spotlight as an actor or, or was it shared between them? Well, I think, as a, I think he had more of the spotlight, yes, as an actor and also because of his personality. Yeah. You know, because he's got, he is hilarious and, you know, he's just, he lights up a room, Paul. He's quite, he's a strong person, not in a bad way. He's he's just the sort of person you want to be sat next to at a dinner party, isn't he? I think he very because... much allowed Rachel to be first, in a way, in that discussion. And uh, interesting, I think it w probably was very hard for him. Um, I've thought a lot about you, you do a lot of writing. And I'm sure you're going to have a, a big hit, whether it be a book or a film script. And the spotlight will swing from me back to, over to you. God, I, I hope say so. back to you. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to find that quite easy because I'm of an age now where um, I'm quite happy for, for my sort of public role to start diminishing, slowing down a bit, and for your star to, to zoom. But I think, Paul, it was tougher for him, and I think he's learned quite a bit really as to how to accept a lot of attention on on your partner rather than on yourself i really loved talking to paul and rach i feel we could learn a lot from those two yeah and maybe i hope some other people listening will will take inspiration from them fancy backpacking around europe johnny no i don't think so uh no uh knock a few years off i'd have done it but i don't want to be struggling around with a heavy backpack on I'm rather envious of that, actually. Yeah. Of course, because I love travel. Yeah. Many thanks again to Rachel and Paul. Uh, thanks to John Daly of Ojo Productions for being the guiding hand behind this podcast. And big thanks to our wonderful sponsors, uh, The Velvetizer from Hotel Chocolat, uh, barista-grade drinking chocolate in the comfort of your own home. And they are wonderful. If you want to buy somebody a gift they'll treasure, get them a Velvetizer. Here, here. <laughs> Tiggy, thank you very much as always. And we'll be back next time. We will indeed. Mm -hmm.